Welcome everyone. We're about to begin Bezaz Hashem, BPJ number 38. That's Bais Primi Joint Group, Shear number 38. We're talking about the date number two, which is agreeing to disagree, addressing conflicts from the book Eight Dates um, by John and Julie Gottman and by Doug and Rachel Abrams. And as an agdoma to the Shear that we said before, people who read this, date number two, with conflict and disagreements and so on, the first natural tendency is to skip over these things. It's not pleasant. People run away from it, and it's understandable. But these shiurim, even though they are like, you know, it's easier, more fun to talk about, or more understandable to talk about trust and to commitment and how to uh, um, love or even with work and money and family concepts, and, 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 and so on and so forth, the other dates we're going to talk about, and this date is, is and this date or this discussion about conflict is something that people inherently find unpleasant and they want to avoid, and they think again, and I also honestly thought about this a lot, because I'm also the type that tries to avoid it, but what's very important to understand, and like we started to explain in the last year, is, again, barring something that's traumatic, but in the day-to-day life, this talking about and expressing and working through your differences creates the much most deepest bond, while if you avoid it and bury it under the rug, um, it creates more problems. And like we said in last year, that one of the greatest myths in marriage is to think that if you never disagree, that means you have a good relationship. And very often it's not the case, it just festers. So we're going to talk about it. Now it seems strange. That's another thing that they acknowledge here. And as you read this topic, you read a Dayton and then you read the word conflict and you say, well, well, well you know, why should I do that? Why, why should we have discussions about the disagreements and the conflicts? It seems strange or even counterproductive, productive, I mean. So the idea is very important, that when when do you discuss these things? When do you discuss these conflicts or disagreements or difference of way you think? You don't do this when you're in a, a heated argument right now or when you're both upset. You need to work on it in when you're calm, when you're not upset at all, you know, like just thinking clearly, and you both talk about it. What's the purpose of this conflict? Does it have a goal? Is there a tachlis? Because many people think that conflict is pointless and is harmless. We talk about shalom a lot in Chazal and the beauty of shalom. But what people don't realize about the concept, if you look deeply, and we really should have separate shiurim on it, what true shalom really is. True shalom is not the fact that I'm going to force myself to think exactly like the other person. Husband is going to think exactly like his wife, wife exactly like the husband, and that way we'll have shalom. No. Shalom is, like it brought down, when you have up in Shamayim, the malach in charge of fire, the malach in charge of water, where they conflict with each other all the time. The fire extinguishes the water. I mean, uh, uh, burns out the water, and the water extinguishes the fire. But up there in Shemayim, they're able to coexist because HaKadosh Baruch Hu brings them together in the same unit, and they coexist. So the, con- the concept of Shalom is not that I'm going to be brainless and just one single dimension of focus, but I take the multitude of the differences and harmonize it as a whole. That is what Shalom is. The 12 Shvatim uniting there being different levels of Avedis Hashem, but connecting as one unit. Not everyone's playing the same drums or the same piano or the same violin. One's playing violin, one's playing piano, 
one's playing the harpsichord, and, and so on and so forth, then you have a beautiful band. Same thing over here. Shalom does not mean that you don't have conflict. Shalom does not mean thinking that when you have disagreements, it's, it's, it's harmful. It's necessary. Why is it necessary? Because Hashem made it that way. You're different. You're going to have these speed bumps in the ability to love each other, and that is part of the way Hashem created the process. So we slow down, and we proceed with care, and we start developing a mutual understanding. That is the most healthiest way, and that's the Iker Tafkid of these conflicts. So when you think to yourself and you wonder, like, why does it always have to be that we see things differently and we have to work it out? And to us, it may seem like it's a drag, but Hashem is telling us, and it may surprise us, that this idea of mutual understanding of the differences when they come up, and they come up often in marriage and in life, is the healthiest way to approach it. It's the most productive goal of ultimately experiencing the true shalom between each other. Now, the the goal of a conflict is not to win. This is the biggest side, why people um, get into contention and it leads to arguments and going downhill is because you think the conflict means to win or to convince the other person, your husband or wife, that you're right or or, or, and so on, or, or, or whatever it is. No. What, happen, what the purpose of a conflict is is in order to understand each other's shirish, the real inner core of the issue being discussed, and and to discuss also their flexibilities, where they're willing to see things differently. It's not to become identical. Remember that. The idea of, of working on conflict and talking about it is not to become the same. It's to experience the understanding of each other in a very, very deep way. So like we said in the last year, and listen to this example we gave from a couple, Marie and Wesley, how they found out that managing conflicts helps them love each other more and helps each other get better and grow and get on a deeper level and it renews your commitment. And to understand that it's, it's, it's it's, it's, it's a Pesach to bring the greatest ideas and the greatest connection. Now, also, what's important to know, and people are going to hear this, and they're going to say, Oy vey, but their research showed that most relational conflicts are not resolvable. Now, listen carefully. You, you listen to this, and you say that most marriage conflicts are not resolvable, and you fall into a yish, and you throw up your hands, and you say, Oy gewalt, this is the way it is, and I just have to deal with it. But this is actually a Pesach of the greatest, deepest love connection. What happens very often, unfortunately, they say here, couples get divorced because of their problems. They remarry, and then they find out they have similar or new problems in the new relationship from the same side, really, of their differences and the work of learning to work through these conflicts. So I'm going to say a line here that he says, that I also I'm going to say it twice, and listen carefully. We call it perpetual problems. Perpetual problems means the not resolvable problems. And listen, within these perpetual problems that you can n- n- never seem to resolve lies the greatest opportunity for growth and intimacy. Again, within these perpetual problems that you can't ever seem to resolve lie the greatest opportunities for growth and intimacy. 
This is extremely important concept that very few people understand about marriage and about life in general and Beinam L'Chaveira issues. It's a misconception we think that all our problems are solvable. And their research showed that about 69% of the time when couples talk about things that they argue about, it, we, they call it a perpetual problem that really won't be fully resolved. It won't be resolved. What, so, so what do you do with those conflict issues that cannot be resolved? The relationship works to the extent of how to learn to live with it in a happy way. That is the great gift within these conflicts. That is the great gift within these perpetual problems that you can't seem to resolve. And again, it's the greatest opportunity for growth and intimacy. This, these unsolved differences create the greatest closeness and the greatest intimacy. Why? Because when you discover what lies beneath those problems and you uncover the core of, the, of your husband or wife's belief systems and their personality, and you get to love it and appreciate it. So it's very important to understand. Now, the other um, percent, the 30, um, 31% that are solvable problems, what are solvable problems? Solvable problems are like situational. You argue about housework or who picks up the kids or where to go on vacation. Those type of topics, they're topic related. They don't have a deep meaning behind the position, although you could place meaning on it whether you leave the toilet seat up, the toilet seat down, and so on and so forth, the annoyances. Okay, but those are things that are solutions that could be resolved, and they get resolved. Housework issues, you sh- you learn how to share it. Picking up the kids or whatever it is, you learn to split the time. Choosing a spot, you compromise on it, or you have next time this, for, now we'll do this, and next time we'll do that. So solvable problems also need work. It takes effort. It takes action. But then there are these perpetual problems. What are perpetual problems? The 69% unsolvable problems? That's the center fundamental differences that you have in your personalities between the husband and the wife, the different personalities, the different lifestyle preferences, the different hashkafas, even with entire values, the different hashkafas. It could be a difference in the basic needs they have. For example, we talked about 10 different needs, and they have different needs and levels of those needs. We had Shiorim on 10 needs. We had Shiorim on five love languages. Also, they could be very different from one another other on their level of, lung lang- of love languages, on their punctuality of each other, or their organization, or their amount of time they like spending alone or together introversion, extroversion, how they relate to in-laws, how, and, and, and even how they choose to exercise, let's say, can be a difference. He likes walking slowly through the neighborhood. She believes in working like in, in a gym, like really strong. That's how you get in shape. They can't always solve it. It's a different personality difference. It's a different personality lifestyle. And sometimes it pays to try to adapt each other's behavior. Maybe you'll get used to it. And sometimes... It's just the way it is. You're not going to get, if they're both, exercise is healthy, that everyone agrees with. But if one does it by taking long long walks for two hours, the other one says, nah, I don't do that. I go to the gym and work out 
It's a matter of preference. It won't be resolvable. Each one has that different way of doing it. And the key really is to these perpetual problems is when you accept what you can't change, you're actually accepting each other to the core. That is the real key behind it. When you're accepting these perpetual problems, saying we are different, this is something that we're never going to see the same way because we have different personalities. When you accept it and you love them for it, then you accept each other. It creates the deepest bond. The, uh, the problem is that most people, when they have these perpetual problems, these unresolvable problems based on personality or lifestyle differences, you end up getting into something called gridlock. Gridlock means no one likes it. It means you feel stuck and you feel like you're going nowhere. Very often marriages, this happens. They have a perpetual problem. Till now, we never really discussed this that much. When you have this problem that cannot be resolved, now we are telling you that you could use this as a Pesach to develop the greatest and closest intimacy. Till now, what happens a lot in most marriages is that when you have these perpetual problems, you get gridlocked and you just simply argue over the same concept again and again and again and again with no progress. And usually that discussion leaves you both frustrated, leaves you both hurt, leaves you both rejected. And then you end up seeing your husband or wife as an enemy. Like in the previous year, when Marie started bashing her husband Wesley over the head with his going to sleep with the television, became a symbol of selfishness to her. Once she had it in her mind, he's a selfish good-for-nothing, that created the polarization. And what really, once it happened, where she understood his childhood trauma and why he does this, this changed, shifted it. Did it change? No. Does he still need it? Yes. And they worked out that remote solution, however they worked it. It changed everything. But the idea being, here's the example, because if she wouldn't have understood this, it would have been a continuing, continuous gridlock and this erroneous assumption that she had that, that, that he is really selfish, which is not, was not true. So you see from here, though, is that if you don't not careful with these things, you could get more polarized, more extreme, and more uncompromising, and that's what gridlock means. You need to notice that pattern if you're arguing over the same thing again and again and again. I'm experiencing gridlock, and now I need to work through it like we explained, and we're going to explain the tools to do that. Now, what he says as he aside, what's the ne- most negative thing about a conflict and about these gridlocks? It's not that you're angry at each other or the arguments themselves or the conflict in general. The shayrish of it is, it leads to emotional distance. That's a very important key to understand. The being upset and, 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 and frustrated as you're going through things, they're not pleasant, but they're not the real relationship killer. The real relationship killer is when you are machlet and you say, eh, this is it, you create a distance. The gridlock creates a difference. And... He will discuss later in the book more about this gridlock in the last date and going further with it. But it's very important to realize, that, again, what we're going to say, very emphasize strongly here, that conflicts, number one, can bring you closer. If you choose to approach it that way, you will know your husband better. You'll know your wife more. And if you genuinely seek understanding of your husband or wife's position, 
You create a deeper intimacy, a stronger relationship. Through any disagreement, you could do that. Right? So, for example, if your husband or wife express something to you in anger, so instead of acting defensively and attacking back, try asking yourself, or ask your husband or wife themselves, what does he or she need? What is this unmet desire or hope that has not yet been met? I want to understand why you get upset with this. What's really behind it? And through any argument, if you can communicate this, I love you, I accept you, even if we deeply disagree about a fundamental thing. And our relationship and our marriage will not only just survive bidiyeved, but will thrive as a lekitchila. And and couples who have been married for decades, once they learn to see their husband or wife's shortcomings or quirks in personality differences, that it's more like an amusing than frustrating, that changes everything. Because when you love somebody, you love all of them and accept them the way they are. And that's an that's a unbelievably beautiful thing. And in the next year, we're going to discuss these exercises. Maybe I'll print the PDF and we'll go through some of them. He lists 25 various differences between husband and wife in etzem fundamental differences. It is really, really good to review these. And the purpose behind this is, is to express to each other and to communicate to each other why they are this way, how they feel about things, and you learn and you're curious and you're objective and you study it. And this creates the most deepest bond. So we're going to end off this year, and I know I repeated it twice already, and I'm going to repeat it a third time. And I may repeat it again, because this is so important, because these particular shiurim, and again, I also, to be honest with you, I'll read the title, Agree to Disagree, Conflict. These are things that right away trigger a person to run away, to say, I don't want to, you know, this is not a pleasant part. I'm skipping these shiurim. And very often, you should know also in the numerics and others that, you know, I know that, and, and truth is evidence, human nature, many very often, more people listen to the sex-related stuff or intimate-related stuff, and that's okay, and that's fine, that's good, that's healthy. But then it comes to the regular day-to-day stuff or the mundane aspects of marriage, quote-unquote mundane. Nothing's really mundane, but that more common things. People send the gloss over because it's less interesting. But over here in particular, not only is it, quote-unquote, less interesting, it's distasteful for many people. They see the word disagree and right away, okay, I'm running away. This is not shalom. And what I'm stressing here is, is because inevitably, because of your personality differences, you will have these disagreements all the time, constantly, and you work through it. That creates the deepest, most intimate bond. And when you learn to be open about it, it creates a tremendous Pesach to bring out the most beautiful aspects of your marriage. Brach and